Some of you may be wondering why are we looking at CrossFit on Sunday morning. It is a new ministry outreach in the life of our church that we wanted you to be aware of. Uh, Josh McClellan, many of you have gotten to know him on Wednesday nights. He's been teaching the past few weeks on apologetics as a pastor, has also been a BCM director, and is now using this as an outreach ministry in the community. And you look at that and you say, well, that certainly isn't for the 945 crowd. That is not necessarily true. Uh, that is a great ministry for any level, any age. They work with you individually. Uh, it can help with flexibility. It can help with stamina. If you are interested or if you know somebody, you can help us spread the word. That is a strategy of the International Mission Board. When they're sending missionaries now into other countries, they're sending them in now as uh, uh, business leaders, starting businesses in a community, providing employment, and then through connection with customers, the community, the employees, they're reaching people with the gospel. We're doing the same thing right here in Oklahoma City, and this is a new way for us to do that, to help people get fit physically, but then also how they can be fit spiritually. So pray for Josh as he launches that new ministry. Also, we're trying to get our choir ministry back. A lot of you have been asking, when's the choir coming back, all right? And we can want it all day long. Everybody wants the choir back, but it takes choir members to have a choir. And so if you would take a communication card today, either the digital one on our church center app, or you can use a hard copy card, or you can email the church office, we're putting together a first phase comeback choir. It will be a Christmas choir. They'll sing the first three weeks of December. We will not be doing choir practice during midweek. We will be doing that from home since a lot of the music's very familiar. The Brian Matlock and the rest of the team have a strategy to get you the music for you to be able to practice at home. And then in November, there will be one rehearsal and we'll be ready to kick off in December if we have enough sign up. So if you'd be willing to do that, we're asking people in first and second service to be a part of that choir. It'll be a special time during the month of December. I hope that you'll join us and be a part of it. Well, let's dig in on God questions. If you have your Bible, start turning to Luke chapter 10. So far, we've answered some really uh, strong personal questions. The first question ever asked, where are you? Have you answered that question? Where are you with God? Uh, where are you in this moment? Are you distanced from God? Are you walking with God? Are you pursuing God? Where are you in relationship to the one who created you? The second question we looked at is, who do you say that I am? Jesus can be just a puppet master in heaven there at your beck and call to answer your needs in the moment, or he can be the Lord of your life. Who do you say Jesus is? And then last week, we looked at the reality of Jesus calling out the woman who touched the hem of his garment and said, who touched me? He wanted her to give her story, and that's one of the things we're doing as a church is encouraging each and every one of you to find a way to share your story. You can do that online, digitally. You can come into the church, as many have. Uh, we've got many that are posted on our website right now. They're able to pass out a little uh, kind of invite card with a QR code on it and pass it out to people, strangers that they meet, and say, hey, go hear my story. It's a great way to share. You can post it on your social media, but I hope that you're doing that each and every day, telling somebody God's story through your story. Well, let's look at our next question. It's found in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Turning to his disciples, Jesus said privately, blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. Jesus would go on to say there have been generations that wanted to see this day that has come, Messiah, the sent one, the Christ, the promised one. You are getting to see that with your eyes. We are a blessed generation. We're this side of the cross. 
There are things that we get to see that Moses and Noah never fully, completely understood, and they didn't get to see with their own eyes. And we get to see that. Listen to what else he said. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see. They didn't see them. And hear the things that you hear and did not hear them. Well, today, you could be in church and still not see what God wants you to see. Just because you're this side of the cross doesn't mean you will automatically get it. Just because you're hearing the preaching of God's word doesn't mean it's going to the heart. It can go in one ear and out the other. But Jesus was saying to his disciples, blessed are you if you see. Blessed are you if you hear. This morning, I would encourage you to even start praying now and say, God, show me what I need to see today. Lord, help me to hear what I need to hear from your word, and God will speak to you. Verse 25, there was one in the audience. He was seeing Jesus with his eyes. He was hearing him preach, and yet he didn't see it, and he didn't hear it. I pray that you won't live the testimony we're about to read, but let's look in. Look at it, verse 25. I'm sorry, verse, yeah. And behold, verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up. Now, don't go after the lawyer jokes, all right? Uh, there are some Christian, biblical, God-fearing, law-representing people. But this isn't the lawyer you think of today in our society that argues over the things of our law. Uh, this was actually a spiritual lawyer. I'll talk about that more in a minute. You say, a spiritual lawyer, oxymoron? No, I'll show you in just a moment. Behold, a lawyer who stood up put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? As I told you before, this lawyer, if you have the NIV, it says an expert in the law. Uh, these particular people, known as scriptural lawyers, they were ones who had studied under rabbis and after a certain period of time uh, kind of graduated to the head of their class. And after a certain time of studying under a rabbi, if you wanted to go get your doctorate in theology, you would go be a scriptural lawyer for the Sanhedrin. You would study an additional 12 years, and you would study all about the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. They would study the Psalms and the Proverbs as well, but they became known as experts in the law. Back in those days, as Jewish customs, if there was a dispute in the community, they didn't have courtrooms like we do, and lawyers that represent us in a courtroom they would argue it out in the Sanhedrin. They had spiritual courts, and there would be spiritual lawyers like this guy who would step in before the court and would testify to what the law said about the particular life issue that was being argued. This guy has studied the law. This guy has spent his life getting a Ph.D. in Scripture. And I want you to see the question again that he asked. It's a great question. Here's a guy who'd studied lots about God's word, but still wanted to make sure he was right with God. It's great to be able to sit back and get honest about where are you with God? Is there a God? Who is God? And what does that mean? And how can I have eternal life? Let me ask you the question this morning. This isn't what God asked, but, but he's asking God, how do I have eternal life? Have you asked yourself that question? How can I know that I have eternal life? Have you found the answer to that? Well, Jesus knew the answer. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? There's your question. What is written in the law? How does it read to you? The man answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. 
and your neighbor as yourself. He quoted correctly scripture. He went back to the law in Deuteronomy and he quoted what was stated in scripture. He gave a biblical answer. The problem was it wasn't his answer. He knew what the Bible said, but he had not submitted to the scripture. And then Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now when you look at this, you'd be tempted to think, okay, well there's something I must do to be saved. If I just love God enough, if I just love my neighbor enough, if I'm just good enough, Jesus said if you do that, you have eternal life. That's not what Jesus was saying. You said, that's what he said. Understand context. Jesus was saying the only way you can love God with all your heart is you first have to have a transformed heart. It isn't something you do, it's something God does in you. That's what he would teach Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who loved God with his head, loved God by being a student of the word, loved other people, he was a teacher to the Jews and gave his whole life to serving other people, still had an empty hole in his heart. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, no, Nicodemus, you must be born again to be saved. So what Jesus was saying to him is, you may know all the scripture, you may know what it says in your head, but if you've never experienced it in your heart, you can't love God. If you do, you do love God, then you are saved. If you do have God in your heart, you will love your neighbor. So Jesus' answer to the expert's question, take a look at how he does it. Pretty brilliant. He could have very easily given him a sermon or a Sunday school lesson, but what did he give the expert in the law? He gave him a question. And what have I taught you every time God asks a question, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stop and not just read a story, not just gain new information, but we need to put ourselves into the question. And what is that question again? Underline it. What does the scripture say? Now here it says, what does the law say? That was the scripture that he had studied. That was the first five books that I said in the Old Testament. He's basically saying to him, if you want answers to life, if you really have a genuine question, don't go to the Sanhedrin. Don't go to the local newspaper. Don't go to your peer group. Go to the scripture. What does the scripture say? Let me ask you that. Put yourself in the question. What are you wrestling with today? What issue is it that is present in your life that you're struggling with? A decision that needs to be made? A a next step to take in life? And you're trying to figure out, you say, I just don't know what to do. I, I feel paralyzed. I feel crippled. Don't be. Put yourself in the question, what does the scripture say? What verse says whether I should take a promotion or not? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he will make your path straight. He will lead you. He is your shepherd. He is your guide. You find all kinds of principles in scripture if you'll just let the scriptures be the answer. Now this guy knew the Sunday school answers just like you and me. You probably could quote, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength just as well as he can. But just because you can quote a Sunday school answer doesn't mean you have the truth. You can know what's written on pages in the Bible and still not know what the Bible is saying. It's very easy to misinterpret Scripture. For example, some people think Adam was a mathematician. Why? Because he knew how to multiply, all right? That doesn't make him a mathematician. Some people think, what was the car, you know, if Jesus was driving a car today, what would he drive? And some people have said, what? A Chrysler, right? That's a misinterpreting, looking at things and trying to figure it out. Three guys were gathered together. Some of you will wake up here in a little bit. I'll save these for late service. Note to self. 
not early service. All right. Three guys were talking about what was the first profession ever in human history. And they were arguing from a biblical perspective. These guys were believers. Well, the first one was a doctor. And he said, well, it's obvious. The Bible says that God created Eve by taking the rib out of a man. That clearly was a medical procedure. The first profession had to be a doctor. Well, the other guy spoke up and he said, no, no, you're off base. Clearly, Scripture says God created the world out of the void and out of chaos. Clearly, God was an engineer. That was the first job ever. And the third guy spoke up. They're the engineers in the crowd, all three of them. Awesome, right there. And the third guy spoke up and said, oh, you guys have it wrong. This guy happened to be the politician. He said, how do you think it was created out of chaos? Who caused the chaos? Obviously, there was the first profession. Now, they've argued, all three of them, from a biblical perspective, twisting it and making their own case for the issue. And that's what people do many times in Scripture. They'll take a verse here, they'll take a verse there, they'll take it out of the context, and they'll make it say something it was never meant to say. God's Word is God's Word. We need to allow that Word to be what God says, not what we want it to say. And this expert in the law was twisting things, setting up Jesus, testing him about how to find answers in life. And Jesus said, you really want answers? What does the scripture say? Now, sadly, for many people today, we don't have much answers. We fall short when it comes to answers. Why? Not because the answers aren't there. It's because we're not there. We're not in the word. And the word is not in us. And we're not looking to the scripture for answers. We're looking to a White House. We're looking for new legislation. We're looking to Facebook or social media. We're looking to the culture and looking to legislators even in our own state. And all of them are scrambling for answers. Luke chapter 22, verses 44 through 45. You don't have to turn there, but let me read it for you. I'll even put it on the screen. Jesus said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He was dealing with an audience in this context that was struggling to find truth, looking for answers, seeing this miracle worker named Jesus and and maybe wanting a miracle, or maybe wanting something selfishly, but Jesus gave them what they needed. He gave them the ability to see the truth of life through the Scriptures. So right now, if I was looking at that verse, and I saw verse 45, one of my prayers in this very moment, I pray it would be yours. Right now, you can pray it, even while I'm preaching. God, open my eyes. Lord, I need to understand the Scriptures. Why did God go to all this effort over all these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years to give us what we hold in our hands, not to decorate our coffee tables, not so we can look spiritual, but that we can see and we can hear, and that we can find answers for any issue, any day, for all of life. But it's important to understand this, it's not just reading it. Remember what Jesus said to this guy? What did the scripture say? How does it read to you? Be very careful. Scripture was never intended to be how you want it to be read and how you want to interpret it. And Jesus was trying to draw him out to get him to realize, even though you've been reading, even though you've been studying, even though you wear the moniker of being an expert of the law, you've read the words on the pages, but you don't understand the Scriptures. 
2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says that we're to be diligent to present ourselves before God as approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, listen, accurately handling the word of truth. So let's go back to our story. Let's go back to Luke 10, verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If you ask the wrong question, I told you before, you're going to get the wrong answer. He assumes from the very beginning that there's something we do to be saved. Jesus points him right back to the scriptures. It isn't what we do, it's what we have to experience. Now there is a part to be played. We're going to see in scripture in a moment. There is something we must do, but it's not what we do to be saved. It's what we get to respond to that God has done that allows us to be saved. The word of God clearly points us to the word of God. In John 5, 39, it says this, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. No, it's these scriptures that bear witness about me. Salvation is not something you do. It's not by reading your Bible every day for two hours and all of a sudden God's very, very, very inclined to like you more. It's not anything that you manufacture or you produce spiritually. It is the reality that God so loved you, he demonstrated that love by sending his son. Jesus said all of scripture has been given all that you've studied, all of these things, even those things in the law, they all point and bear witness about me. Salvation is in a person, not you, but him. That's what the scripture says. And yet there are the majority of people today, as I shared with you from the Barna survey recently, who believe the way that they will get to heaven is by something they do or don't do. There are others who believe they won't get to heaven because it's something they have done or they didn't do. What does the scripture say? The scripture is very clear that we're saved by grace. The scripture is very clear that we're saved, as we're going to see in scripture in a number of ways. Look at Romans. Hold your place in Luke. Go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Let's let the scripture speak to his question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 are scriptures that give us clarity. These are probably the two most important verses in all of scripture. I would say even more than John 3.16. Now I know John 3.16 has been used around the world as the most popular verse. But I happen to believe there are some people who know John 3.16 and are still lost. Who believe in God in their head but have never understood what scripture says. Look at it, Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. There it is. Underline that phrase this morning. Mark that up, mark that up and, and mark it in your heart. Believe in your heart, not your head, that God has raised him from the dead. You will be... Now, in verse 9, what did, what, what did a person do to be saved? Well, the person had to believe. That was just a surrender. But that wasn't what saved them. What saved them was the one they believe in, where they're placing their trust. It is a commitment. The heart now is not the blood pumping organ. The heart was considered the center of the person, that God-shaped spirit piece of man. And the Lord said, once you, once you get to that point where you say, Lord, I'm an empty person. Lord, I'm separated from you in my sin. And Lord, I know it's not by being more religious. I know it's not by this. I know it's not by that. But God... You died and paid for my sin. You are the way, the truth, and life. And no man can come to God and be in his presence except through your holy sacrifice. 
And God, I place my faith in you. You see, there's nothing we do to be saved, and yet there is something we do to experience salvation. He paid it all. He made the way. He is the way. But we must submit to it, not intellectually. Not saying, oh yeah, thank you Jesus, I know Jesus died on a cross. We can know all the facts, just like the expert in the law, but still not know the one who died on the cross, and still not know that forgiveness, and still not know that grace. So I ask you the question, what are you doing to inherit eternal life? Are you trying to work your way there? Are you thinking that you're getting some brownie points by showing up on a Sunday morning at a Baptist church? Or have you come to that realization and you're resting in Christ and Christ alone? Ephesians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. But Paul prayed for people and he prayed for them in this way. He said, for this reason I bend my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He didn't say, I'm praying for you to do better. He didn't say, I'm praying for you to get more religious. He didn't say, I'm praying that you'll quit doing this and you'll start doing that. He said, no, I'm praying that you will come to understand the reality of the grace of God and that is found strictly in a relationship with him as Christ dwells in your, what's the word? A lot of people got Jesus dwelling between their two ears, but they need to let him dwell right here. The scriptures give us answers to eternal life, but they also give us answers to everyday life. This guy's question started at the point of eternity, but Jesus also said, not only did I come to give you eternal life, but I came to give you an abundant life. So there are a lot of people in this room, you've answered that first question. You know that it's only through Christ that you can live forevermore. That you will die, yes, physically, but you'll live forever as Jesus promised because you're looking to the truth of Scripture. You've answered the first question. But what about all the other questions of life? When you're dealing with those questions, where do you get your answers? Well, I would tell you, if you want to find answers, use the Jesus question. What does the Scripture say? I'm going to give you a challenge this week. Maybe, maybe you're not watching the news channels these days. I can tell if you've got a smile on your face. If you are, I would, I would encourage you to take a week or a month Sabbath from the media. No, I've got to know what's going on. Really? Are you really knowing what's going on just because you're watching it? I don't care which channel it is. I don't care if it's CNN. I don't care if it's Fox. I don't care if it's somebody else. I dare you to turn it off. And I dare you just to turn to Scripture during the day. I dare you to let Scripture speak louder than the TV. I dare you to just let God's Word speak into your life. I promise you, if you'll quit listening to all the voices, if you'll quit listening to the madness, the joy that you will find. Let the Scripture speak. What does Scripture say? When we're trying to wrestle with the question of which lives matter. What if instead of it being a certain entity or a certain political group or a certain this or that, what if we let Scripture speak to the question? What about the issue of gender? Do you know that's an issue in Oklahoma? If you read the news in the last couple days, you know that uh, for the very first time, we have issued a birth certificate of non-binary. First time ever in Oklahoma history. 
being challenged now in the courts and the issues of the day. What if instead of a Supreme Court or Oklahoma legislation or any other lawsuit, what if instead of looking to those things, we look to what Scripture says? How do I deal with my anxiety? How do I deal with my fear? What's interesting to me, and we've had these talks recently with a number of different groups, it's interesting to me if you had the television on yesterday and you were watching any kind of football, it's amazing to me how the world is reacting much better at coming back from COVID than the church is. Let's let Scripture speak to the issues of our day. As you go through Scripture, the Bible Apostle Paul taught about the armor of God, how we live in this world, how we go through the battles of life, and, and he took the issues of a Roman soldier's equipment, and he talked about the armor of God. We've talked about this before and did a whole study on it. And as you go back and you look at what the Apostle Paul taught, he taught about all the different things God has given you to have an abundant life, and all the pieces of the armor. And then he gets to the last piece, which is our only offensive weapon against the enemy. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the, it is the Word of God. All the other pieces protect our heart, our minds. All the other pieces may help us to carry out our calling. But there's one piece, there's only one weapon God has given you to have victory in life. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's the only weapon we have. It isn't the brilliance of our brains. It isn't the size of our buildings. It isn't the conviction of our hearts. It is the Word of God, the Scripture that God has given us that points us to the Word of God. Jesus modeled this. And Jesus is our example as he would submit to the Lord's will and begin his earthly ministry. He would then, after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, he would come under great attack the enemy trying to trip him up so that his head wouldn't be crushed by Christ. Trying to trip him and get him to sin and therefore he couldn't be a perfect sacrifice. Three times the enemy brought at him all he had. All the three areas of sin. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. He got him in all three areas with three different questions. And each and every time, Jesus never responded with an argument. But he pulled out his sword. I'd love to preach this truth to you, but I'm going to let another preacher do it for us. In 1993, I've shown this clip one other time years ago here at PCBC. 1993, I was a youth pastor here. Promise Keepers was a big movement in the nation at that time, filling up coliseums and challenging men to be men of God. I remember us with a big couple of charter buses heading out to Boulder, Colorado. And I remember this night, we were sitting in this auditorium you're about to see, or this coliseum, and E.V. Hill, one of my favorite preachers of all times, was preaching. He was slotted for 30 to 45 minutes. I think it was a six-minute sermon. Why did it not go 30 minutes? It didn't need to. I think you'll understand when you watch the clip. Again, bad quality. This is coming out from 1993 and all these years later. But listen to the message. Let's watch this together. Jesus. Jesus did not show the devil his glory because we don't have no glory. I go my, my, my best right here. Nobody won't be blown away. 
Jesus did not say, devil be done, because I couldn't have said it. Jesus had to do something that everybody in here can do. And I'm fixing to give it to you right now because I want you to use it tonight. I want you to use it tomorrow. I want you to use it tomorrow night. I want you to use it for the rest of your life. Jesus said, devil, it is written. It is written. That's what he said. It's written. In other words, Jesus went to the book of Deuteronomy and came out with scripture. And every time the devil opened his mouth, the Jesus threw scripture in his mouth. He came back at him again and he said, devil, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He hit him over and over and over with the scripture. And guess what happened? The devil ran. And guess what you can do beginning tonight? You don't have to take it. You don't have to take his mess. You don't have to take his stuff. Hit him. It is written. When the devil comes up and says, how do you know you've been saved? You are not saved. Yes, I am saved. Hit him. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Hit him, hit him, hit him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hit him. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Hit him. How are you going to make it? My God shall supply my every need. How are you going to go through? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not walk. It's written. It's written. It's written. It's in the book. It's in the Bible. All you have to do is take out your Bible and say, where are you, devil? Come on, devil. Let's get it on. Let's get it on. defeated. Our Lord is King of kings and Lord of lords. Hit that devil with the word. Hit him. Hit him. Hit him.
shortest sermon I've ever heard in my entire Christian experience and the most powerful sermon I've ever heard. It changed my life forever from that day forward. I remember being in that audience and us standing to our feet and screaming, hit him, hit him. It was Geraldine, you know him as Flip Wilson or her or whatever it was, who said, the devil made me do it. It would be Evie Hill who would say, don't give him credit. Hit him, hit him, hit him. Where's the enemy coming after you right now? Where's he showing up in your face and in your story? Do you have any ammo to hit him with? Or do you find yourself vulnerable because you're not in the Word and the Word is not in you? And you wonder why there's no victory. Jesus said, you want answers? What does the Scripture say? Hit him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask our staff to make their way to the front. The invitation will be, will be simple today. And for many, for some, you've got to answer that question. Do I know eternal life? Do I have eternal life? And if you can't answer that question today, answer it. Let Jesus change your life. You've heard you must believe with your heart. And if you've never done that today, you need to give your heart to Christ. I want you to come to one of our staff and say, man, I need to trust Christ for my salvation. I need to be saved. I know what the Word says now, and I know why I might understand in my head, I need Jesus in my heart. You be the first to come and say, I need Jesus. They'll pray with you, and they can help you right now. Nail that question down. For others, I would encourage you as the church right now to start saying, God, open my eyes and open my ears to the Scripture. God, forgive me for not being in the Word. And I want to encourage you to every day this week find one Scripture to be your sword. One Scripture each day. One Scripture that you'll look to that you can keep hitting Satan with all day long. As he's trying to hit you, you fight back with Scripture. Would you be willing to commit that and say, I'll leave here today with that desire. I'll leave that. I'm going to live my life according to what God's Word says. Not what I feel. Not what I desire. I'm not going to listen to the other voices. Maybe today you're struggling with something. You say, God, show me. Speak to me through Scripture. Maybe you need to come to a prayer warrior this morning and say, man, I need help. Find out where does God's Word speak to this? Would you pray with me? We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. God's Word says, you want to look to the Scripture? It says, Don't forsake the assembling of the brethren. God's word speaks about a body of believers, the family of God, the church. And you need a church home. You need to come. God also says in his word that there are times we need to repent. When we're following at a distance, when we're not where we should be. And you know that. You need to submit to scripture today. You need to repent. You come. You just need to pray. The Bible says that two or more gathered together agreeing on anything. We'll agree with you. We'd love to pray with you. If you need to come, I hope this altar is flooded with people trusting God in his word. Lord, pour out your spirit now. In this very place, Lord, I pray that we could hit the enemy with truth. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not our want-tos, but thus saith the Lord. God, as we've heard your voice, may we respond to it now in Jesus' name. Amen.